When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Joe, we have finally got here. We no longer have to hide or seek. Uh, we are, yes. we are at the series or season to what many people wished was the series finale, the season finale of the OC season two. <laughs> Dearly beloved, first thing I have to call out since we already did the song. Yeah, brain blown that this song shows up twice in this episode. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, right? I was like, I know that it shows up at the end. And then when it started to play for Caleb's funeral, I was like, and also side note, fits way better for Caleb's funeral than it does when it, when it's more infamously used in this, like the, the music actually makes sense with the funeral more. We'll get into that later at the end of this episode. That's my weird hot take. Sure. But I have to address this out the gate. This was something that I kept to myself because I was already texting you too much of my feelings. Yes. I think that Sandy is making a huge mistake throughout this entire episode. And I think this whole show is making a huge mistake with the treatment of Kirsten and her alcoholism at this point. Because uh-huh. I don't think that Kirsten is a true alcoholic. I don't think that it's a character who has this long history of alcohol abuse and and this, that, and the other thing. When I'm watching this, I'm thinking that sending Kirsten to rehab is trying to fix alcoholism by just fixing the cause or just mm-hmm. trying to fix the problem and not the cause. Like the issue where she started drinking, the reasons why she started drinking has everything to do with her marriage situation, Seth running away, her father dying all in a quick period of time. Kirsten needs therapy way more than she needs to be like shoved into a rehab in an AA system right now. Sure. That's my perspective. That is just my perspective of growing up with people who struggle with there. There is a difference between 
full-blown alcoholism the disease where you do need to go Mm -hmm. to rehab and you need to work with that and Mm -hmm. someone just picking up drinking like marissa needs rehab marissa masks every single negative situation with alcohol from like the age of 15 and on kirsten has never shown that except for this excessive year of bad shit happening to her and trying to cope and i and i it's a thin line but i think it's an important different line to me to me that was my read on on it and maybe i'm totally in the wrong here but that's how i'm seeing it is like this is not this is not the solution to the problem but i certainly hope it's the end of the conversation of the problem from here on out because dear god the sandy and kirsten plots were the absolute fucking dumpster fire of all of season two for me like ryan seth zach summer I had an up and down with some of those storylines. There was never a moment through 24 episodes where I was invested in the pair. Of, well, I guess I was invested where I was happy with anything happening in the adults storyline this entire season. I so well, first of all, I appreciate your insight, especially because like you have a history, you know, you have an intimate family history yeah. of folks dealing with addiction. And I can be wrong because I've never drank in my life. So like I'm coming from this from like the sober guy's perspective. But to me, I do think that there is a very big difference between Kirsten and Marissa in this situation. Sure. I understand. Um, I think you're right. I think that. It sucks because I know what's going to happen next, and you don't. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, like the therapy will come part as part of it. Okay, so like the rehab that they're sending her to, the th- there is therapy that is like you know going to be part of that. So one, two, I mean, like that's also part of like from what I understand, especially with any like you know inpatient rehab type situation, there is a there is a therapy element. There is a therapy yeah. component of it. Um, I've been hinting at this. All season, All season yeah. that like something happens at the end of the season that like, you know, these little the little moments where you see like Kirsten with her glass of wine, right? Like it's breadcrumbed throughout the series until we get to this part and it gets pushed over the edge because like, you know, like in any you can't have like um you can't have a figure who you have a complicated family relationship with die unless there's like you know i said this to him that was the last thing i said to him and then he died right and so then with and that's what like pushes her over the edge um she already i mean like that's what pushes over edge not the like you know getting hit by a car getting hit by a truck and that's kind of thing and i guess here here's what i'll say her having a freak out at her father's funeral and the solution being she must be sent to rehab feels mm-hmm. like a Caleb move more than a Sandy move. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Caleb is Caleb is the character that's like swift, swift punishment. Like Caleb would do this as a punishment. Like mm-hmm. you have embarrassed me in front of important people and thus I must send you away <laughs> until you clean up your act type attitude. It doesn't feel like a Sandy move. I sure. get why it, why we're there. I But like, I feel like Sandy, 
I don't know. It, it just, it, there was something about it that rubbed me the wrong way. Um, but hey. Well, Sandy has no, Sandy doesn't have answers. Sandy doesn't. doesn't know how to deal with this. And I think what, like, the intervention of it all, I mean, like, we're also in, like, the prime, like, the the prime time of, like, interventions being a thing because of the A&E show, right? Yeah. So the intervention of it all, like, when, what broke me was when Ryan gets in there and is oh like, hey, God. I wish that, like, I wish somebody got help. And I was more broken when he went to speak and she said, don't you say a word? I let you live here. Like, I was just like, Mm -hmm. "Okay, so Kirsten's a mean drunk, too. Um, But I just I don't know there. This this really this really rubbed me the wrong way entirely, like throughout the entire season. The the Kirsten Sandy stuff was really an albatross on on this season Mm -hmm. for me. I'm trying to go back and forth between good and bad. Uh, so that was really rough. Won't lie, loved fucking seeing Jimmy Cooper and Haley back on my TV. Uh, yeah, that was really exciting. I feel like I already spoiled for myself that Jimmy Cooper does not stick around, and that it's not the Cooper family reunion that they're leaving us thinking it. They may think be. it's going to be, yeah, because I think we when we looked into when he. First of all, when he sailed away, you were like, I don't genuinely remember if this is a series wrap on him or not, which means that he's not here very long. And I think when I googled it, it was like. From that point, it was like 28 episodes and he was on the show yeah. for 30 episodes. So I'm like, all right, I guess we're at we're at 29. So I guess season episode one of season three is sending Jimmy Cooper off again. Yeah. Um. So, you know, that is what it is. Uh. But yeah, love seeing Jimmy. That brought me a lot of joy, actually. I learned something immediately watching this episode. So mm-hmm. I've talked about my friend Jeff, who was like kind of the first OC fan that I knew. And he had shown me a few random episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, I know for a fact that this was the episode that made him an OC fan because he, this is the episode. This is the episode in the sense of what he told me was he was flipping through the channels and he saw someone as he was randomly flipping through the channels, he saw a character reading his favorite book, Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, and stopped and went back and was like, what? And then he just watched this episode out of context. Oh, God. And got, like, sucked in and then went out and bought the season one DVD to, like, get caught up on everything. But, yeah, Seth, the first shot of Seth, he is reading Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, which is also... One of my top five favorite books as well. Uh, it's hard to call it a book. It's an uh, essay collection by uh, Chuck Klosterman about pop culture. But if you are anything like Joe and I, where you consider yourself um, a little bit of a snob when it comes to the art of pop culture and and really trying to analyze like what is culture, uh, mm-hmm. I read the book as a, it was part of my college American studies course was that we had to read sex, drugs and cocoa puffs, um, and break it down. Uh, and it's just individual chapters. The first chapter, uh, is usually you'll, you'll know if you love or hate the book. And I don't know, I haven't read it in a bit, so I don't know how well it aged over the last 20 years, but the first mm-hmm. chapter is a book about why he hates John Cusack. <laughs> it's a great book. Give it a read if you care about pop culture and stuff like that. One of the chapters he watches every season of uh, The Real World and tries to track where the show went wrong. 
<laughs> Spoiler alert, Puck had something to do with it. Uh, but <laughs> but that leads to a really adorable scene where Summer comes in to check on Seth, but under the guise that Princess Sparkle wanted to check in on Captain Oates and see how he was doing. Joe, if you had told me how many times I'd say the words Princess Sparkle and Captain Oates through the entirety of this podcast, I would not have believed you because, boy, did that feel like a throwaway plot point. But here we are still two years into the show making references <laughs> to these yeah. two horses. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a huge thing I need to complain about. And we've kind of hinted at complaints about this before. Uh-huh. And I mean, it's pretty obvious to me that this is a series wrap on Trey, but I really also need it to be a series wrap on the anonymously evil Jess who just yeah. has <laughs> has no character, no storyline, mm-hmm. no importance, just kind of moves in and out of scenes, just bringing bullshit with her <laughs> for like no reason. And like I... I kind of ignored the Jess subplot last week because it's so much worse in this episode. But like, Joe, tell me that I never have to talk about Jess again now that Trey is dead. Oh, God, you never have to talk. Never, (laughs) ever. Hold on. I have to look her up, right? She ran off with those drugs and just like never came back. Um Honestly, like Trey is a bad dude. We're not going to sit here and pretend that Trey's not a bad dude. But if we're going to talk about who should have been shot and dead on the ground after this season, Jess is so much worse of a person mm-hmm. than Trey is. And like, I am saying that fully aware that Trey did some fucked up shit and did some yeah. essay and all of that stuff. But Jess is worse because Jess is a person who finds someone like Trey and purposely calculates pressing buttons and causing and, and literally manipulating a person who's already unhinged to go more unhinged for their, Mm -hmm. sometimes just for their entertainment. Like, yeah, like it is, she is a true sociopath. Like, Oh yeah. Like, and like, Oh my God. The, when she, when she pulls the gun, first of all, when she pulls the gun at the drug deal, right? Yeah. Um, and the whole point of like the whole point of having the piece at the drug deal and having Trey there is because the last time someone did a deal with whoever she's um whoever she's doing the deal with, they like it got violent because of for whatever reason. But she's the one who pulls the gun on them. Yeah, she escalates the situation. Yeah. Like and the interesting thing is is twofold. One, she pulls the gun and she's like, you know, who's the bitch now? Which reminds me of the new guy. A million percent. <laughs> who's the bitch now? Who's the bitch now? And I was like, I was like, no. I was like, we can't. No, I was like, no, not a new guy reference. Um, <laughs> I know you would like that. And then secondly, she like. What what did she say? She's like, go uh, go back in your rice rocket. I was like, Jesus oh Christ. no, oh my god, ah, uh, uh, 
and then actually explicit racism i mean we already have the implicit racism of like you don't see any people of color yeah. like even Teresa, who's supposed to be like like yeah, latina the, the right whitewashed latina woman that has ever stepped on the screen yeah. i the other so i guess here's the one thing part of me is like i never want to think about jess i never want jess to show up again there's also a part of me it's like i want jess to show up in the first season and have to have to literally pay for her crimes because otherwise otherwise where we're at right now this woman shows up seduces trey pushes trey all over the causes trey to have a relapse gets him to do these drug deals with him essentially leads to trey's death and for all of that she gets to run away with the drugs for free and for all we know live a very fine healthy happy life in newport beach as like their top drug dealer it's actually kind of a bummer that if there's no more story follow-up that she just kind of got off scot-free from this point on and that we'll we'll just have to assume that she's she's living the high life as like newport's top top dealer of all drugs well she's supposed to show up right so she's like i'll be i'll be i'm gonna steal my dad's beamer yeah (laughs) and we're gonna drive to vegas she's like 18 yeah (laughs) not maybe 17 she's she's a high school school. yeah she's still at high school which again flip actually now that you're bringing that up trey (laughs) trey what is it with you in high school girls i know he turned 21 yeah but you know you're a real scott pilgrim right now it's not great ah yeah <laughs> talk about yeah Ooh, no gross <laughs> this is a weirdly heavy episode for a season finale like yeah like this is a lot <laughs> it doubles the body count <laughs> doubles the body count um it's it's yeah it's a lot um so finally marissa tells summer what's going on she finally tells summer mm-hmm. Here's what happened. Summer tells Seth. Seth is like, we have to tell Ryan. Like, we have to tell Ryan. And Ryan does exactly what all of them expected to happen. Ryan's just like, I'm going to have to go kill my brother now. He's going, he's going to, he's going to scar his brother, Mufasa. Like, he's ready, (laughs) he's ready to just take it down. Yeah. But then Trey is the one who escalates this shit. Because, like, let's think about what would have happened if Trey doesn't pull a gun. I don't think Ryan was going to kill Trey. You know what I mean? Like, I think Ryan was going to come and beat the shit out of Trey. Yeah. And be like, get the fuck out of Newport. I never want to see you again. And that be Mm -hmm. the end of it. Trey pulls the gun. He is willing to kill his younger brother as opposed yep. to essentially getting into a really rough scuffle where he'd still get to leave at the end yep. of the day. Mm-hmm. Then he esca- Then the fight happens and Trey escalates it further by literally trying to choke the life out of Ryan and reaching for a telephone to bash his head in with. Uh, yep. Like he, he expedites the situation to the worst way. Marissa... With an incredible, incredibly lucky kill shot from a person who I assume has never fired a gun in her life, shoots a disarming shot that that takes Trey's entire life out of him. And this yeah. is where we get this weird music choice. Obviously, I know about this scene. <laughs> I know about this scene because of the SNL sketch. Yeah. Dear sister. Dear sister. 
which by the way uh dear listener you can uh you can listen to my dulcet tones read an essay that i wrote about this specifically on the geekscape uh, youtube channel yes you can uh look for the oc uh video that joe did a while ago but the so i the the reason why that sketch even happened as much as this was a pop culture moment i think it was a pop culture moment because it is a weird song choice it is <laughs> it is it is a weird like it's a great song this is not a diss on image and heap this is a mm -hmm. weird fucking usage of this song like it's re it doesn't it like kind of it's hard it's a chicken or an egg situation right now joe because it is actively hard for me to decide if the music choice works only because I've known about this song choice for 20 years mm -hmm. or if it's the most insane song you could possibly put in the scene and that's why it's so charming and strange because it's like any other any this would be a better place for fix you by Coldplay <laughs> you know what I mean like it's like like something that's like piano and tragic and yeah. sad and instead it's like mm, what you say <laughs> like it's yeah the where are we would still have made sense in that part it's the fact that the gunshot kicks in and it's the the catchiest mm, part what of you say oh that it doesn't end well well it didn't end well no. <laughs> but it's like whoa what a call like honestly, if she shot the gun and the "Where Are We" part kicked in again, I'd be like, "That totally makes sense." Like that works. It is such a weird part of the song to choose, but I also think it's why it became iconic. I think that it's impossible yeah. to separate the two. It's been forever since I listened to the Los Costarricas like pop culture. Did this make it onto their 100 pop culture moments list? I think I'm not sure actually because they do like they have also like the 200 the great the great american i've like, listened to that recently book. too yes it feels to me like this is worthy of like a hundred pop culture moment moments thing it's certainly yeah. like of the last like 20 or 30 years a an absolute like needs to be on that list um sure. i'd even say i'd even say a hundred iconic moments in television this this makes it somewhere on the list. This is a thing. Oh, absolutely. Like me, case in point, never really watched the OC up until now. And I knew this scene. I knew this moment. I knew this song mm -hmm. choice. Hey, welcome to Unstable Topics, a fast-paced, jam-packed, unhinged, bestie podcast filled with facts, reacts, and made-up games in between. We're your hosts, Sarah and Maggie. And we're excited for you to join our best friend hangout, where we surprise one another with things we find interesting or hilarious just to see how the other will react. Our friendship might be totally stable, but you never know what your bestie might throw your way to knock you off your game. So come shake things up, learn something new, and laugh along with us. This is Unstable Topics. I was actually just telling my girlfriend this while we were driving. I was driving her home before we record it. So I have to ask, was this the first time you heard this song? Yes. 
Okay. Do you want to know where the first place I heard this song was? <laughs> oh, God, what? <laughs> Bringing it back to Zach Braff, baby, when it was used in the movie The Last Kiss with Zach Braff and Rachel Wilson. Um, what? Did you ever see that movie, The Last Kiss? It's no. bad. It's a bad movie. But Rachel Bilson I'm, from the OC, I'm, Rachel Bilson? I'm pretty sure. Hold on I might be. We were talking about a bunch of weird movies all at once. I might be combining people now. Because Rachel Bilson might be in liberal arts with uh, with uh, Ted Mosby, <laughs> oh, oh, um, whatever. Dude. Whoever I know, I was like, I was like, I don't even remember his name from, um, uh, from that. Yeah, Rachel oh Bilson God. from the OC. So it was his follow. So he didn't direct it; he just starred in it. But sure, it's basically that in the movie he like is cheating on his pregnant wife with a younger girl played by Rachel Bilson that like he had a chance encounter with at a wedding. And this is the song that plays when he comes home from their first like hang together. And he's feeling a little guilty about everything. (laughs) Where are we? Yep, exactly. See, the plot revolves around a young couple and their friends struggling with adulthood and issues with relationships and commitment. The film stars Zach Braff, Casey Affleck, and Rachel Bilson. Oh my God, Casey Affleck! Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a interesting and Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis shows up in there too. It was made for a budget of twenty million dollars and made fifteen point eight million dollars in its box office run. So, crushing it. But yeah, Hide and Seek by Imogen Heap. It was another one of those soundtracks where I'm pretty sure with absolutely with absolutely no evidence to this, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. am I would put money down that Zach Braff was the star of the movie as well as the soundtrack supervisor. <laughs> because oh, like I'm sure. Because listen to the artists on this. Snow Patrol, Coldplay, Carrie Brothers, Imogen Heap. Remy Zero, Fiona Apple, Amy Mann, and Rufus Wainwright. Like, half of those were already on the Garden State soundtrack. The other half were on the Scrubs soundtrack. Like, this was was hot off the heels of Zach Braff crushed it with that Garden State soundtrack. Can he do it again? And the answer was like, maybe. (laughs) You know, maybe. 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 Um, But speaking of music, Joe. This episode, we've joked around about this, that there's no way that we could ever pick something that isn't hide and seek for this episode. And I agree with you. This is the song of the episode. That being said, this episode had a ton of great songs in it. (laughs) You're like, uh, but there was all this other shit. So I really, more than ever, I want to call out these other songs. We had... Uh, El Minana by the Gorillas playing when Marissa and Julie are having a conversation before the funeral. Crosses by Jose Gonzalez plays when Summer is visiting Seth. Hide and Seek by Image and Heat plays both at Caleb's funeral and in the final scene. Um, You're Not the Law by the Dead 60s plays when Jess shows up at the bait shop. An Honest Mistake by the Bravery plays when Seth, Ryan, and Marissa show up at the bait shop. Hot Ride by The Prodigy plays when the drug deal goes bad. Friends by Ryan Ryan Adam plays when Haley drives Kirsten home from the spa. Um, Like, El Manana made me get so excited because that is off of arguably the Gorilla's best album, Demon Days. 
this soundtrack, this is the OC that I think of when I think of the OC, like yeah. this collection. You of think songs. of Imogen Heap. Yeah. Like, but all of those, like I think of Imogen Heap. Yeah. I think of the gorillas. I think of the bravery. I think of prodigy. Like I think mm-hmm. of artsy indie bands and like offshot techno groups and stuff. Like I think of all of that. Ryan Adams, like that whole yeah. folk indie scene i think of. songs that aren't like songs that have at the time really little to no mainstream popularity but they're fun and it's that because it's it's that beautiful moment um i'll speak from my experience it's that beautiful moment where you're like listening to a song that you know nobody no one near you and your like proximity of friends or, or family or whatever uh likes or knows about the music but yeah. like you love it so much and it's like oh my god this is like the thing that i really think like that was for me when i listened to when i watched garden state yeah garden state was one of the first like quote-unquote indie movies that i ever watched and like listening to like the garden state soundtrack i'm like oh my god like this is i can't believe look um, i <laughs> nobody know no but no, not more people know about like you know let Col- go let go or colin hay him. for me man like i colin hay is now one of my favorite artists and i found him through the garden state soundtrack. And this is a guy who was the lead singer of men at work. Like, like he had yeah. <laughs> previously had a massive career and like Zach Braff kind of revived that through scrubs and garden state. Um, look, a lot of garden state state is like everyone's favorite indie movie to dunk on as being like the indie movie that ruined indie movies. I still love it, but I will, I will not. And I mean, not, stand for anyone besmirching that soundtrack that is still a perfect mixtape of the 2000s indie music scene in like a concise 13 track uh release the closing track of that album by the way sung by one of ross's girlfriends on friends (laughs) uh all right joe let's talk pop culture right now yeah, so you know, folks, Merry Merry Christmas Eve uh, to all of you. Uh, this is this has been like, I mean, if you want to talk about like the queerest moments of 2023, it was like starting this podcast with Matt. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, it's been really strange to be like, oh fuck, we are we did like the first two seasons of this show in a year, in a year, in a year, and that was with. Like a two to three week break when your computer died. Yeah, I know. Like, we're, if, if folks, that hadn't we, happened, we'd be in the third season right now. Yeah, we would be in the third season, but you know, I think the timing is perfect. Things things do happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. And um, what? So, what is my like final pop culture moment of the of uh, twenty twenty three going to be? Uh, well, I'm going to end it with something Christmassy. Um, and I have to tell you, it's not, oh, by the way, it is not uh, going to be Matt Rogers' Have You Heard of Christmas? Although by this time I will have seen it. Um, it is going to be uh, the Cher Christmas album, simply titled Christmas. Did that come um, out this year also? It came out this year, earlier this month. And the, uh, like... It is what exactly what you expect. The first song is called DJ Play a Christmas Song. Love it. Let me DJ ask you. DJ Play a Christmas Song. I want to be dancing all night long. I need to ask you a very quick question because if not, I have something for you to also listen to. 
Does okay. she cover Baby Please Come Home? Hold on. Hold on. Uh, That one is like, the snow's coming down. Yeah, that one. That one she does. Okay, so... <laughs> One of the albums that we covered this year on Christmas 365, Dylan made uh-huh. me listen to A Very Rosy Christmas, which was Rosie O'Donnell's Christmas album. And the second track is Cher and Rosie O'Donnell covering Christmas Baby Please Come Home, like fresh off the heels of Believe. So it is like full late 90s, early 2000s club track with shares the snow's coming down (laughs) i want an impossible but she's like super auto-tuned and like rosie's doing the like christmas (laughs) (laughs) christmas (laughs) which side note joke all joking aside that song fucking rules that is easily (laughs) one of the 10 best christmas songs of all time it's so good. There's not a bad cover of Christmas Baby, Please Come Home. It's so perfect. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, continue. So Cher no, has that's just it. hit Okay, so Cher hit a Cher has run. a Christmas album. It's gonna I'm I fully expect to be at a gay bar and hear it. Um I was at a gay bar last night and I did not hear it. Um there was also just like a bunch of bear Santas around me. I was like <laughs> it was one of those moments where I was like Am I not as in tune to homosexuality in this city as as I as I am? Because like I feel like I would know there are a bunch of like, you know, burly Santas wearing harnesses doing like a pub crawl tonight. <laughs> I did not realize I, I just imagined teddy bears, like Christmas teddy bears. I Oh no, like yeah, no, like actual <laughs> like the like because I'm like, okay, yeah. I mean, I guess I could see You're people so dressed sweet, as bears. Like it's Christmas time. Why not in a gay club? Why not? Like that would be great. Um, all right. So I'm not going to talk about something Christmassy, but what I will talk about is probably the most obscure movie that I would put on my best films of 2023 list. Okay. Did you watch Pinball: The Man Who Saved the Game? Uh, no. Okay. No, that sounds like an off-brand like Hellraiser. <laughs> no, you'd think, right? So Pinball the Man Who Saved the Game, I believe it's on Hulu. It is okay. 80 minutes. It's a brisk watch. It is a fascinating biopic of the true story of the man who saved Pinball. Um, now, I've known the story for a long time because I've been a fan of playing Pinball. And I, a lot of my friends, including my friend Jeff, who... Uh, was the person who introduced the OC into my life because of the mm-hmm. sex, drugs and Cocoa Puffs book. Uh, he's like one of the highest ranked U S pinball players. So I, I have these friends who love pinball and they love the history of pinball in the fifties. I guess it was the forties, fifties and early sixties. Pinball was banned in major cities because it yes. was, it was considered gambling. It yeah. was considered a form of gambling and a game of luck. And Pinball, the man who saved the game, is the story of this guy who loved pinball so much that he went in front of the Supreme Court of New York and Mm -hmm. brought a pinball machine and proved that it wasn't a game of luck. It was a game of skill by playing a game for the court and calling every shot and proving that with like time and practice, it is a skill that you can master like anything else. Um, But the way that they like juggle the story and they jump back and forth between time of him like sharing these old memories and it's just it reminded me a lot of like american splendor 
the way that the mm-hmm. American Splendor movie was assembled. But it's it's just brisk. It's it's enjoyable. You're kind of like invested very quickly <laughs> into the characters and the story, and it's it's made on a very low budget, but it it doesn't feel like it's a low budget movie. So highly recommend go check that out and uh you know take a take a break we're gonna take a rest you guys take a rest and in 2024 we'll be back watching season three of the oc and uh, i mean we've we're already past the halfway point joe this time next year we're not going to be talking about the we're OC done. anymore we're, we're will we still be a show who knows will we be talking about some other show with some white ass people problems who knows <laughs> only time will tell so stay tuned listening to the Geekscape Network.